and the herd ran in fear. And the dark ones, children of the worm, walked the streets in the day. I turned my head from the sight. The phoenix told me, this is as it shall be, but not as it should. The phoenix left me then. Now I cannot dream. I can only remember the signs, each one in perfect detail. These are the last days. May Gaia have mercy on us. 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Werewolf the Apocalypse, a review podcast. Welcome back, folks, to part two of Rage Across the Amazon. I, of course, am uh, Bob, joined here again by uh, Nick as we do uh, 25 Years Presents Werewolf the Apocalypse, Rage Across Amazon, part two. Now, where we first started this off, that we were going over the uh, ins and outs with Robin, of course, um, Alita. Alita. And uh, we were going over this book from their perspective but we also know that there were some things we didn't touch on because of detail and flow only having an hour and we knew they wanted to do this justice to this book as i spat through that a little confused there but uh uh the point i want to get to is we told you we talk a little bit more about the characters we get into a little more about how this book was designed like how do you how does one rage a war across the amazon or what does it even look like or what is the benefit to getting this book uh two players and thus we named it part two and figured we had a lot to talk about uh, but before we get into the organization, let's look at the enrichment of the characters we have. Um, and we're going to let Nick kind of tear through this, starting with Gogol Fangs first, Nick. The man himself, the legend. Help us out. So I'm going to be honest with you. Gogol Fangs first is, is just amazing. It, it all starts with the inception of the character himself being born in the middle of a battle in World War II from his mom, who took a break from the fighting to squeeze out a baby. And then decided she was going to jump back into the fighting. <laughs> the, uh, the, the direct quote was, uh, she died on glory before he could suck on her teeth. And then uh, the guy, was he was battle-born, is, uh, is, is the phrase of it. After that, he decides he's going to go and fight in, in Vietnam for the fun of it, it is basically the way, the way they phrased it. Like, uh, he's kind of bored. Yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll go to Vietnam. In a time when everybody was, that was not what Nam was like, right? You were to be dragged off practically with all the talks about it. Yep. How da- one of the most dangerous wars uh, for any soldier to be in, this guy goes there to practice. And is that, is that all, though, about Gogol Fangs first? I mean, there's there's some important things in here. For instance, we look mechanically. We know he's Geta Fenris. He's the yep. Geta Fenris. But what's unique about him? Like, the portrayal of this Geta Fenris, I felt, was more realistic. Like, it felt more rounded, or am I just... Am I biased? Uh, no, you're not biased. This is a well. This is a this is a get get. He's a he's a stone faced, cold blooded warrior who has no time for anything less than excellence, and uh, and he expects it out of those around him as much as him himself. He's a rank six. Uh, we don't see much of any of those, if any of those, up until now, including uh, his own unique gifts. Uh, his amazing thunder fist uh whatever thing it is the iron fist or whatever fetish at this point you gotta understand there was also like you know laws of the wild that's the live action version of werewolf it's a huge thing talking about the ranks one through five getting to rank six is legendary you had to do something epic on behalf of gaia to be recognized by the spirits as this legendary guru of such epic proportions to to get anything and the gifts you're taught at level six are taught by like celestines themselves right not every time but that's the caliber and impression they leave upon you so when in amazon when you see gogo and you see this ranks this this rank six gift you're stammered it's like oh okay we we get to play this guy but this is the era where vampire elders were spat out every time a water droplet hit the page right and, and every the, time a player cried over their right. character loss <laughs> there's just elders everywhere right that's just what it is and this is kind of the time you have for here but it's always interesting to me that they said werewolves are powerful on their own but but is that enough let's see what a legendary werewolf would look like and and you know you're under the impression they might have had ranks one through ten why not vampire presumably went up that high when it came to their because looking from a gift perspective yeah right one through ten you would think that no they stopped it tiered down uh, to where six was all you needed to get. 
because that's, I mean, if you look at Unstoppable Warrior, what Gogol gets to do, we know a werewolf can heal during combat if they make a special roll, yep. right? Every round they could heal one level of lethal or bashing, no problem, no worries. However, that's all werewolf. There's a gift combat healing that makes it to where you don't have to roll. It's an assumed thing, which, which that's great, right? Pretty cool. Well, there is a limitation, though. You can't heal eggs. Right. It's true. Very much limitation, but combat healing. What if you miss the roll? In a critical point, right? Yeah. Kind of roll heavy, but keep up with us, folks. Unstoppable Warrior says, Golko, doesn't matter if it's ag or not. Oh, Golko is going to be able to heal it. Not just that, though. He can spin a rage. Yep. Right? A rage per ag he chooses to heal uh, while that's ongoing. Which means really don't make him angry. <laughs> you wouldn't like him when he's angry. You know, and, he, and he, I mean, he just comes with it all, right? And and where you're like, okay, cool, we get it. Gogo's this big badass, but there's more to him than that. This book outlines where he's faced with a lot of tough challenges. Um, first and foremost, Ranch Apocalypse, he's trying to keep together. We've got to remember, there's a war council of every big time, every big elder they could send from the tribes was sent to the Amazon yep. to sit in this war council. I mean, I don't even know how to talk to it that much. So let's just, like, if we look here at the Children of Gaia, Garrett Faithful is the one I'm going to kind of chime in on here with. Yep. He's the next one you have whose special power is true faith in Gaia. This guy, as I read through this, this guy is, uh, he's a Sir Galahad figure. Like, he is a an honorable paladin's paladin of, of the paladinness. And even his followers, the people who just look up to him, have their own camp. It doesn't say he's a part of it. Right. He's just the inspiration for it. It's it's he's a cool character. This is another one where it's like if Gogol has a war council, this guy's, you know, keeping the peace and following his objective, but agrees to get along and, and fighting Pentex and then Black Sparrows and everything else that's going down here in the Amazon. And I'm left thinking what what could stand against it? I mean, you got people like this just the swinging and, and it works, right? Black Furies and Bonars have their, their versions that's here. The whole War Council is represented. Yeah. But they only highlight in key people. But I want to stop for a second and point out the Black Furies. I'd say this is kind of an annoying thing uh, that in this book that I didn't want to see. And that's where the Black Furies didn't have as big of an entry. I think if the 13 tribes were represented and the War Council's here, we should have gave everybody a hero to chew on. And they, they they do. Like, the Black Furies are are everywhere in this book. But there isn't a black fury in this book which is kind of i think the point that you're really getting to like where's their hero correct where it feels like they're supportive right like anywhere else there's a focus on a hero that you could with the tribe but with the black fury and they're 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 huge in the amazon they come in here to help out el dorado that we already talked about and mentioned and they decide to support them they came here fleeing someone persecuting them and that's why they make a stand in the amazon they make a big camp and a big stand and they, they should have their own canner, their own place, or what yep. that works out to. But when it comes to their entry, they talk about Alanya Wingsafar as the eldest amongst them, but they give you no nothing. Nothing. But uh, why is she why is she on the war council? Is it just because she's she's the oldest? Like she's got the highest rank, so all right, we're gonna send you there. And uh, it, it doesn't even go into depth to talk about the entire Black Fury tribe that's you know, like in El Dorado, which we'll get to later, because they're there. They belong here more than any other tribe. Right. And that's, and that's, I don't know. That's, that's what they did. I really wish they did. I wish they had that entry just like uh, Children of Guy did. Like Garrett Faithful is a great character. Yep. You could have muted them and included the, a Black Fury to show what they got going on. Uh, the Bonars, interestingly enough, just to eat my own words real quick, I said everybody's represented. <laughs> they do have a tribe representation, but it's in non representation because there's no Bonar that sits in the council. That doesn't mean there's no bone hour here, though. They did right. send support, just not in the council. Standard for bone hour, right? A lot of times when they get those big councils, you're going to mute the people who you feel are more dog than wolf. And that's <laughs> kind of kind of what they do with the bone hours without exception. And uh, rolling on through, in addition to Garrett, um, you have uh, Fiona, just to, just to mention them too here. Uh, we got Fiona who are here, Dances in Clover, or, or Bruggen. Dances in Clover yep. is an elder council member, but they kind of do to him what they do to the Black Furies. But this made sense. This made sense to me because the Fianna are not huge. They don't mention like any grand reason they're here other than they're part of the 13. Yes. So to shrink them down and be like, okay, here's a guy. He's here in a council. Here's some of a personality. Kind of spice him as you want. And that, that makes a little sense, right? 
even like they did mention the only person who could possibly contend with with Gogol Fang's first rule. Um, they they listed him by name, but we don't see him anywhere else. Like he he doesn't have a character uh, portrayal, like a special spot where he gets his own photo and stats and everything like that. Just kind of yeah, he he stood up and then you know like Gogol beat him and then well wherever he went off to the side. Is he the guy on the council? No. And with that, they basically get into uh, the rest of the book. Like, they give paragraph excerpts for the other tribes as well, kind of making it to where they, they get are kind of the focus, right? Main stage war, Gogol's there. He's the man, children, and guy to temper him. And to be fair, they're powerful. And that's, that's why they kind of take that show. Yep. However, when you get to the leaders of the North Ward, uh, these are the guru uh, out of the Hollow Heart Cairn. And uh, this is a different sept of, of, of a sorts. You got Shandy, who's her war leader, and, and is a Fianna, and a great layout for who this is with the, you know, rank four, like you want to see um, the stats to support where that Karen is and what it has going on. And from there, I mean, other than that, we don't have to focus on every single member in here, but it's showcasing that this set has members to protect it and defend it, and is a great place to showcase where players can go yep. to and find those mentors at a critical moment. It almost breaks down like individuals from kind of every tier of the uh, of the battle formation that they have here in the Amazon. And a lot of them that are listed specifically in the stories later on, they, they kind of outline or uh, lay them out here so that you can kind of get an idea as to what they are. Some of them have really cool stories. One of them here that I like a lot. It's another get. It's uh, Jürgen Krieg, the battle master. <laughs> this guy was fun to read because it, it reads like you're. it's a military, right? I mean, this is the guy who walks yeah. around and uh, just is is brutal to his soldiers. He expects them to, to at, a, at, a, at a dime, at a drop of a dime, to be ready to fight and be prepared to handle it. Almost mirthless. <laughs> I, I call him old school get, right? Because that's what he is. He, he comes from Germany, from the, the root of the, uh, of the get. And there, they have no time for bullshit. And this guy, every German that we've met online, at least, they, uh, and I'm looking at you, Solanum, they, they act exactly like that. It's very straightforward to the point. They have no room for play. They just want the details done precisely. And then you have Dag Hateful Hand. He was also a, a get offender, who's more or less the same way. Now, they, they operate in a different capacity insofar as they feel that when they go out there to, to cover their, their troops, and that's what they're really there for. These guys assign troops to go and complete tasks on behalf of Golgo, but they also oversee them, meaning. This isn't your traditional storyteller gave you a mission, you're running away, and no one's following you up. This is war. So when that pack goes out of players, goes out to handle it, and someone like Dag sends you out there, Dag is rooting for you. He's out there fighting for you. He's out there making things happen to support you. You get trapped. He's bringing the cavalry. Stuff looks dire. He's coming for it. But you will fight, right? This isn't a person who's going to come save you because you want to sit back and watch someone else steal the show. You better be out there getting stabbed or shot or surrounded in the mix. And then Dag comes and he brings it because it's almost like you got to show what you're here for in order for them to risk those assets to come and bail you out. And I think that's very good for a group of players, even new to Werewolf, who don't understand that, okay, you made this pack. When will you reach Gaia, the worm, the apocalypse? But now you're in the Amazon and you've been forged to focus on a specific event. You need to go take care of that event. And by you, there you five of you or three of you or whatever it is, there's no magical help that's going to come from the ST. This book is gauged to give you hard mode. It has to give you hard mode yep. because guess what? Being a werewolf is hard mode. It, you're you're outnumbered in every direction possible, morally, um, physically. You're given those tools you have to be strong and all that to conquer whatever objective you have. But you're going to have to pull together to do it here because it's harder than in most places. And that's. I think it's awesome. The the most interesting part about this, the entire the entirety of like what is the best uh combat layout that Gaia has pushed forth out of books to date has managed to fight to a standstill and tentatively a standstill. Um you're gonna have to bring it on the level of your rank fours through sixes in this book to to kind of make a difference. And and they expect that of you. Now, I'm going to talk to you about a unique werewolf in here that I, I like seeing this. I always like the Bonar write-ups. I think they do them the best. 
out of, out of any book. I'm going to let you pronounce this name because I mixed it up in my head. And I can't <laughs> stop laughing. It's Crick Rumringler, and I, and I enjoy him. He's a battle master, and, and Crick is an example of, well, it's a different flavor of Dag, right? Kind of doing the same role. Uh, what Crick does is that he, well, first and foremost, he might be of rank, but he prefers to smile and make sure everybody gets along and kind of let you talk and tell him what to do. And he smiles and nods. They got a great picture of him in uh, in Lupus where it looks like he's smiling, <laughs> like just happy-go-lucky as it goes. But different than Dag where, you know, he'll wait till the chips get down. This seems like the wolf that runs with you. You're going to be out in there to do a fight. He's going to come out alongside you, help as much as he can, and yep. is very much lifting those, those, uh, those spirits. Cool part, though, is that he treats that mission as he's a part of it, but he's going to watch you grow a bit. He'll be there with you to help out when the chips get down and make sure you get home. And that's kind of what he does. And I, I like Rum Wrangler because, well, you wish every werewolf was like that, right? Willing to help out. And it's, he's nice. And I bet if you threw a ball, he'd go and get it. And he'd bring it back. And everybody's happy. Who doesn't like it? He's that like, guy? hey, guys, let's go do the mission. By the way, you know, if, it, if it's really hard, we'll just come back. It's not, the, it's, not a, it's not a big deal. We don't want anyone to die. We don't want any, any huge ruckus to happen. Nobody needs to lose an arm. But hey, you know, if we can accomplish something, right on. But for Gogol to make him a battle master, here's something that's beyond contact. Before you think he's, uh, he's underrated, this is the guy who can fight. He is in the Amazon. He is a fighter. More than that, he's earned the respect of these get. And more than that, he's the type of person where somebody wanted to, wanted to shit on him, point blank, and just be like, you're a bonar, get out of here. Um, expect his three big bad brothers to come here and have a chat <laughs> real quick. And that's, I, I dig it because it shows you there's a family here that's not playing around. They got a job to do and it's all hands on deck and where the politics are here, shadow Lords, whenever they're there, the politics are here. Yep. However, um, he's just, he's just another good character to add to the mix, uh, to kind of lighten the mood, uh, to that though, let's talk about some faction picks. What are the freebooters, Nick? Uh, the freebooters are a, a camp of black furies that kind of came over from the African Congo. And uh and they're kind of off doing their own thing. They don't have a they're not really into into the same fight that everybody else is and they're kind of pushed off to the outside. And and a lot of that is uh you know maybe some uh some jarring of of cultures and uh, and different methods in there, but they're not they're not rounded up in into the troops that, you know, obviously the the battle masters here would like them to be. And that's kind of fits into the name, right? Free booters. <laughs> they'll they'll run, they'll get them some worm, but don't rely on them for reinforcement. And to talk about that a little bit. Gotta remember what's going on in the Amazon is that uh old ranch apocalypse is cranking out fetishes. I I want to say that again. You're you're probably wondering if Pentex is so-called raping the land, well, who's taking care of the spirit world? Well, Ranch Apocalypse feels they got to fight the worm wherever it dwells, wherever it breeds, or in the Amazon to do it. But there's all these unique spirits that are out here that they're convincing to help them or forcing them to help them in the form of fetishes and talents. Yep. At such an unprecedented rate that you have spirits who are directly opposing them. And the freebooters kind of fall into that element, but not as aggressive as the Ghost Raptor pack. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're a fan of the movie Apocalypse Now, you're quickly going to pick up that the idea of the ghost raptor pack definitely came out of apocalypse now and, and you don't even have to guess they tell you three times in the book right and it's it's something to pay attention to they want to grab that feel that was in the movie where it was cinematography wise was amazing uh the, oh. the plot delivery is gut-wrenching and it comes from the simple aspect that we're, we're at war but what does it do to people who are in that war that's the most important part and the ghost raptor pack are those remember mentioning those Utena in the first part when we talked about it? They were here first and kind of gravitated to the ways of the Bastet and were kind of trained differently. Those are the majority of the Ghost Raptor pack now. And they dance to a spirit of a different tune that they call the White Father. Now, the White Father is a member of their camp that is possessed uh, by, well, a unique totem. I won't butcher the, I think, I think it, it's an Amazonian name or oh, Brazilian name or whatever. God, you didn't ask me to pronounce Right, it's it's intense. <laughs> it's it's a cool name, but uh, it's it's in the books in the index for it too. Yeah. Uh, but the purpose of it is what's important, and it's a spirit that is literally defending the jungle. It is there just doing any assigning the ghost raptors any task that frees up spirits from fetishes 
that corrects what Pentex is doing in the forest or that saves Werewolf. It's interesting to note that. Now, they represent a faction that is loved by the Macaulay here and the Bastet. I do mean that. Yeah, They're at peace with them, and they're able to move to and fro, but it's because of this new totem that guides them. And when that totem decides to, to choose you, basically, to be a part of that pack, they, they leave it open, right? And what I mean by that, Gogol Fangs first would love to get this Ghost Raptor pack on his side to make this a slam dunk. Yeah, I mean, originally back in the day, they, they were like this is a this is a purpose built pack that that Gogol Fangsburst and his people created and sent out there as a forward scouting pack. And when they encountered this totem and and realized their purpose, and and the the purpose is not crazy. It may sound a little crazy, but it explains it in detail. Those spirits exist for a reason. In the places that they are, they create a balance. There's a harmony in it. The example they give you is like a spirit of an anaconda helps to uh, continue the flow of the river. And then when you pull that spirit out to apply it to a fetish or to have it attack something and that spirit's lost, now that's a, another issue with the river where things don't flow right in the ecosystem, as is reflected in the real world, starts to get muddied up. And the cool thing about that is, as they mentioned, those pieces falling away. They leave those seeds for the storyteller to, to, to adapt. Like, you're probably not going to know about the Ghost Raptor pack as players, unless you're the type of pack that is playing to their skill set. I don't mean you're actively, oh, no, Apocalypse Ranch, you're doing it wrong. Of course you're not going to do that. It's elders <laughs> and it's the baddest of the bad that are there leading you to glory. However, when you're on mission and you see these guys, and you might be a new Tenno or a Wendigo, yep. it, there's a chance there's going to be some tribal connection there uh, because you understand what they're doing almost more intimately than others. Where I could see a get or a, or a glass walker or even a Fianna just sort of scoffing at the idea. If it, Even if your pack showed up and you decided it was your A-team moment, you're going to go down to the Amazon, you got BA with the van, <laughs> and you got Mad Dog flying over with the helicopter and Hannibal's got a plan, and, and all that stuff is going together. That's not the group that's going to be able to catch these guys' attention. Your spiritually attuned and focused group, people who pay attention to the theaters, people who understand the history of what's happening here those are the guys who are going to get the attention of the, of the ghost rappers because their ideas on how to handle this conflict is spiritually based not conflict based so then you need to understand why it says in there that gogol has two options available to him it's either they continue trying to recruit the ghost raptor pack which doesn't seem to be working right you need to you need to stop them from well destroying the fetishes you are making and or stopping people from making more or you need to sneak in there and kill him. Those are the two options facing him because they are in the way. Here's the problem. Right smack dab in the middle of all that, you have Bastet problem. Yep. It's not just the Ghost Raptors, right? Before we get to the Bastet, let's look at Pentex. Their agenda here is pretty simple. Deforestation and just, honestly, capitalism at its worst, <laughs> right? And it's just what they're doing. And uh, poisoning the land and trying to open up, uh, well... Let's be real. It's more insidious than just deforestation. You let them get at it. Um, they have a scientist who's uh, rather interesting uh, that's working out of there that is uh, solely bound to Project Iliad. Now, Project Iliad is uh, specifically designed to where you could take people, get them possessed with a bane, and allow that person to control that bane's powers to allow them to physically manifest uh, certain, uh, certain things in here. Uh, they got a guy in here whose name slips my my mind, actually. Let me see if I can get him real quick. You're talking about George Bernard? Dr. George Bernard? If that's the guy who's able to lift steel girders. No, you're talking about the foreman, yes. Mel Westernberg. Right, because he's an Iliad success. Yes. It. Oh, man. So when I read this entire section, and they're talking about building family of these Fomori lines that are bane-infested, I'm thinking they're trying to make Fomori rev revenants yes yes and no i mean the the problem with making a fomori has always been the worm chooses the the mutation what's going to be there what powers it get and there's always a damnation pull you might get a benefit they're super strong they're super regenerative but they're going to explode in four days right or something like <laughs> right. that it's always good with the bad well these guys are smooth are swooping in and they're like well we can control what power they get and if we do that we can isolate what makes them weak and we can work to that 
and, and, and smooth it out, we can. And if we can't get it to where they could use the Bane like that, the real Project Iliad is where you can get a Bane to manifest and stay here physically without it costing them power to do so. At this point, a Bane has to spend uh, quite a bit of points of its own essence to be able to transcend the gauntlet to be here in the flesh. And they want to make it to where that they don't have to. Right, because a bane would be more powerful having its own physical form running around without the need for a I human. I mean, that's ideal, right? Uh, the human's really just the, well, think demons, right? I mean, if it helps you think of it that way, it's a pain in the ass to wear someone's will down to corrupt them and then do that whole process, and then you got to constantly battle them. The part that didn't make sense to me is why does why does Pentex want why does Pentex want banes running around? Is that good for business? Is that profitable? Well, or if is that just the worm working machinations? If you're in Project Iliad, it works because you control them, right? You got to remember, Pentex does not believe that they're working with the worm. They believe they're controlling the world. And when you're that megalomaniacal, when you're that tyrannical, you, you don't believe there's some sure, buddy. There's there's some <laughs> there's some omnipotent thing that's controlling everything, and that's part of the madness. You know, they won't believe it. We get that wild outside view that can go, they're out of their mind. What, what are you thinking here? Don't you see you're serving it? No, they don't see it any more than the Black Sparrow dancers are in here in this Amazon as well, right? So in addition to Project yep. Iliad doing all this crazy stuff and, and having things go awry, you have uh, Black Sparrow dancers who, sure, we have a we have a hive where we took over three den realms of the Bastet, we corrupted and poisoned it, right? We yep. have that, and it's the Hell Hive, Karen, I believe is what the name is, and there or the Hell Hive. Period. They're running around doing their thing. There is another one that is trying to. It's a plot in a book. It's a seed to send players after. There's a powerful theorist who is trying to open up, because uh, it knows right of Karen building. Yep. It's trying to open up in fresh territory in the Amazon, untouched by anyone, wild dominant, a brand new hive, which works in opposition to the hell hive itself. And if they, if the factions knew about it, they would go to war. Yep. They would try to kill each other. But on top of it, if Pentex knew about either one of them, if one, basically the horn doesn't get along. That's the point. Right, one head does not get along with the other because Unity's supposed to sit with Gaia. Right, that's where all that good fun stuff comes from, and it's not even happening here. And that's that's where you run afoul of it. You can see this best when you look at Blood of the Incas. Um, I will not try to pronounce that name, but it's the one corrupt bastard in here, and she's got a raw deal. When she was here, she tried with all that she had to oppose this conquest uh, by the Black Sparrow Dancers that took over her den realm. And she failed. In that failure, a bane possessed her. And it's it's now eroding the last vestiges of her will. And her mind's taken a long time. And she's practically, well, she is out of her mind with it. Yep. And she only knows to oppose Guru. That's it. Because she's trying to get them to kill her. But it's a powerful character, right? So when it shows up and telling the pack, hey, hit me with your best shot, she's going to try all that she can to kill that Guru pack. In the hopes that they do kill her. Very tragic, but welcome to the front lines of the war. And this is all because, well, you might be thinking, why doesn't Pendex get involved or someone get involved to help her out, cool the bane out? Well, because that would be working against the worm. Right? Bottom line, there is an odd chaos that goes with that. Then she's the helpful guardian for Pentex HQ, which is her den home. And uh, they're, they're happy to have her. Yep. <laughs> In a lot of ways. Now, that doesn't mean that all the Balam are that way. For instance, they outline Black Claw in this book pretty well. As they should. And Black Claw is not to be tested. It's the best way I could put it. Pound for pound, I would say he's he's a good he's a good test to Gogol. If they had a fight in a heads-up fight, who knows? And that's a good story to tell, especially when it comes to war. But Black Claw has the contingent of the whole Bastet groups who've asked him to help out, and he's taken it to it. He does not believe the Guru should be left to live. Not in the Amazon. They can get out. He'll allow them to leave, but if you're going to stay, he's going to kill you because he doesn't see any way that you are not ruining his land and the territory. But who does he who does respect? Ghost Raptors. Why? Remember the totem. That totem is the defend is is literally the line. If the the jungle says you can be there, then you can be there. But if it does not say that, Black Claw will be the bouncer, and that's what he exists to do. Now, interesting. I won't say that he hates all Guru so much, but he knows they can't be reasoned with. Because Gogol is such a tyrant. Now, that's his perspective. If you ask the Guru, they're just following orders. But Blackclaw doesn't understand that. The Blackclaw, if you're in charge, then they follow your orders. And so, but Gogol is is arrogant. He's imperialistic. He's everything Blackclaw can't stand. And he would very much love to kill him. Yeah. 
Now, other than that, probably my favorite entry in here. I mean, those guys are, I, it's hard for me to say favorite, but I do enjoy <laughs> the Macaulay. I really like them. I, you know, I, uh, the only thing that really bothers me is, uh, is that they could just find a simple hippo shifter for this. Like, <laughs> I mean, Macaulay sound like they get kind of close, but they're never quite there. I would love a wear hippo. A wear hippo on Amazon, I'd be content. I'd be, I'd be, oh, okay. be my are, are you serious? It would, you rule. You rule everything. Everything that water touches is yours. Moto, moto. It'd be, it'd be the shit. <laughs> I, I would love it. I'd love it immensely. But uh, alas, there's no wear hippos here uh, in this book. Work on it. Um, but in this book, you do, you do <laughs> yeah. have, you do have the Macaulay, right? And in here, they frequently call them wear crocodiles, and that's that's fine. It's forgivable. Yep. Um, because it makes sense, right? You would have a lot of rivers in to live in, and that's easy for them to hide. Massive water crocs. But Song of Younger Days has an entry in here, and they have his breed marked out as Sukid, Rising Sun, if you don't know. And uh, what's cool about him is that he's actually a raptor, as in a velociraptor, a large velociraptor. What's also cool about him is that he absolutely listens to this older Macaulay that's here, right? And that older Macaulay said, don't kill Guru. Problem is, the Song of Younger Days says, okay, I'll listen. He kills humans. <laughs> it's, he won't kill a wolf. He won't kill a werewolf. But it outlines in here because that's what he recognizes that they said don't touch. But if you're a human, eh, he's going to kill you if you're not from the rainforest because he, he knows if you should be here or not. And so he's hunting down single-handedly Pentec. Why? They came and corrupted eggs that they shouldn't have. And that's, that's his focus. That's, his, that's what he should be doing. Yeah. You know, you pour oil on my eggs, I'm going to be pissed off too. <laughs> right. And it's not like he's super old. He's young. He's young Velociraptor learning how to run through with terrible claws and to kill Nedry, <laughs> right? That's uh, that's one of the only, uh, well, I mean, what? that's not what killed Nedry. It was the mini ones, right? Nedry? Who's that? You remember Nedry? Ble- the Nedry. Jurassic Park? What? Yeah, Nedry. He tried to sneak away, fell in the mud, and the little uh, guy's got talking him. About cl- oh, you're talking about um, Wayne Knight. You're talking about... Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, Nedry. Yeah, yeah. That's I remember it. Old memory. Oh, he got he got by the Dilophosaurus, according to Ark. That's <clears throat> what it is. Okay. The, the spitter ones. We're on the ball today. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what's cool about this also is that they have an uh, entry in here for jaguars, crocodiles, electric eel, even some pretty interesting and exotic things you could find in the Amazon. And um, it's best. I mean, just the stats to taste like any spice of life. Uh, they're fun for that. But when it comes to. Yikes. <laughs> When it comes to encounters, that's where I think this book starts actually being leaps and bounds. Yep. I would love for them to come back with, with some semblance of this in, in anything, really, in any, any Rage Across supplement, or hopefully they bring this to uh, Werewolf 5th Edition, that they're gonna, you're going to see it. We had something like this in, in the last book, right? Talking about just different areas where different things happen, like the, um, the Black Furies that get stuck in the mud pit. And, and different things like that, just encounters that it happens. What I'm talking about is that this book doesn't, it's not a series of stories. You do get a story about Rio. You do get a story about uh, one woman with the, with the Skinner in it, good old Samuel Hay, yeah. about the city of El Dorado. That's fine. Um, but what I'm talking about is it didn't, they don't bog you down with like five stories. They go, we're talking about the Amazon. We want you to own a part of it. Rage across the Amazon. Here's some seeded things that you could be assigned to do from Ranch Apocalypse that make this game feel like you could pick this book up today. Or random encounters. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the only thing we're missing is the chart to roll on, but still, it, it that's exactly what like, this first section is, is basically that. Random encounters. I don't know that it would do random. I mean, you could, I suppose, well, well, but obviously, obviously you're not gonna you're not gonna just be like, okay, guys, three days in the jungle, hang on, roll dice. And you encounter spying monkeys. I don't want them to get that impression, though, because like you really, you really couldn't do that, right? You can't stack up a recon encounter with a search and destroy mission or with a full on combat mission. No, 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 no. You're 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 100 right, but you know you can beforehand before you decide to decide, roll a die or something. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> you can't get lazy with it. Is my point because the type of detail they give you for a seated encounter is start to finish a generalized version of what's going on and what you could do with it. And they do that way so you, as a new storyteller, can get used to using some of the creatures that you'll research in the book and get it built up like Nick's talking about to make this less of a random. But it might feel random to the player. 
because we've got to remember this beginning of this book tells you that they get told what's going on in the Amazon at whatever cairn they're at where they start. And then they go through a moon bridge and boom, they're in the Amazon at Ranch Apocalypse. There they get assigned to whatever warg they're going to belong to. And then mm-hmm. whatever battle leader they're going to get, they'll see Gogol from afar, maybe, or maybe you have Gogol eat with them. Whenever you role play that out as, then it's time to get some stuff done. And it's going to be based on the pack makeup that's going to determine what's going to be best for the players to go and do. And or maybe you decide to make it hard for them to do. And there's no choice. It's really up to you, but it pays yeah. to read through these scenarios and be a storyteller. You decide what would be fun to tell for the couple sessions you want to do it in. Now, if you don't want to do that work or effort, let's talk about what they decide to do with Rio. Um, Rio is actually, <laughs> they, they go so far as to write the dialogue for you, um, <laughs> which uh, it's maybe, maybe that's a little bit more help than, than you asked for. But it, it starts out with like Jurgen Krieg, like sitting down the Cubs and line by line going through this, this, uh, this crazy like patent speech. To the point where he even's like, "This ain't no walk on the beach." You know, like, it's, like they expect uh, one of your players to say something smart so you can snap back at them. Like it's just, it's very, <laughs> it's very Arlie Ermy esque. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and they do that. They uh, they basically assign the the group a, a mission out in Rio, Rio de Janeiro, um, out in the city to kind of help some glass walkers accomplish uh, this task to. To try and stop Pentex from working with the with the local kindred. I also want you not be dissuaded by the title. It's called Rio by Night, but it's not a vampire book. There are vampires in the story, right? But I didn't see any hard vampire stats mentioning any specific faction that you would recognize of of what's going on. I want to highlight that. That's good. Yeah, that's a that's a good notice. Now, um, why that's good is because I've heard this misinterpreted. Right, I've heard someone say, oh, they never did Rio book. No, they did in the Amazon. No, they didn't. They, they haven't done a flat-out Rio book uh, that I have seen. Um, now, there have been, like, for instance, there have been some sleepers. Like, there's been some German release supplements uh, thrown out, you know, that I'm told they made and seen one or two. Uh, but not in this book, right? <laughs> which, is, which is the point. Um, in here is a standard plot that we're not going to get to the detail much, other than to say it does involve vampires. It does involve a run-through. Of what's in Rio de Janeiro. In fact, it's the it's the job of a lupus to run around and show you how fun Rio is. It gets into the mindset of the people about how they're uh, described by them, a people who enjoy life, and they want you to feel that uh, in this story in this tale. But also, where it runs afoul. Um, long story short, it involves Pentex and involves vampires, and if it involves Pentex and vampires, it involves someone tricking someone to get everybody to attack the guru that simple and it's a story as old as time as far as i'm concerned they even mention it that it's a uh, kind of a head nod towards chicago by night uh more more than a head nod they have uh they have characters nope that's in the next story hang on a second we'll we'll put a pin in that right <laughs> so how about that next story we'll just get right to it uh the next story is kind of what we've all been waiting for they they built entire sections of this book to to kind of to work this story, this is the search for the lost city of gold, El Dorado, the the dream speaker himself. Now, what's great about El Dorado? Refresher. El Dorado is a dream speaker made super powerful. Runs afoul of the technocracy. Technocracy banishes him, El Dorado, and this massive lake of fresh water to its own pocket room. It's just gone. Dun, dun. But in the power surge, they forgot how to find it. They don't know where it is. Hey, you know, sometimes uh, the paradox is a bitch. It is. But El Dorado devises a way through dreams to convince some guy, some explorer, to come and find them. And it had to be done that way. <laughs> All right. So the hilarious part is how he finds them, right? This guy's got to go through it. Like, as players, you have to go through this entire section. You have to navigate to this weird little spot. And then once you get to that spot, you got to find a stone pillar that looks completely innocuous compared to all the other trees around it. Find the side that faces the moon, crawl up that side 15 feet, and then peer through a hole, crawl through that hole, and then you get in the round. He told somebody to do that in a dream. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Told somebody to do it in a dream. Now, what's cool about that is that I feel that this very much mixes mage right in for once. I I agree. I agree this is where I would like to see a mage. This is almost, uh, I don't know, Merlin-esque. 
through a dream, I show you a land of wonder and, yeah. and, and come find yeah. it. And then you're in the heart of the Amazon. Well, what a great mysterious place to have that happen in. It's rumored the city of gold's there. It all fits. It all stacks. It's great. Super cool. You know, it, it, it without question, there, there's only one small problem. And, uh, and it's, it's the kind of problem everyone loves to hate, hate, hate. Oh, <laughs> uh, without being around a bush. Well, Samuel hates got to go here. Yep. Right. He has to go here. It's just the perfect spot for him. Something to note about hate though. They're kind of, kind of bending me here on this guy. I, I really can't stand the character because any character that plays like a, like a re-re version of Dr. Doom is going to get on my nerves. This is a, you know, the, the worst part about, about this guy, it may be, you know, you're saying it specifically right by calling him Dr. Doom. Anything that happens with Samuel hate is at all times unavoidable. There's nothing you can do to stop him. He's going to succeed. And he has a, an immediate bailout for everything that does happen. The, the game is, this story, you're chasing him to get to this city. No matter what you do, he's going to beat you there. When he does beat you there, you're going to show up just in time to see his evil plan come to fruition. There's nothing you can do to stop him. And then he escapes. Now, we've seen this before. You do, but I'm going to say this a little bit. This isn't a story where you're supposed to be like, oh, man, the players win. Right? Unless you want to run it that way. It specifically is a story where you watch all the damage that Samuel Haight has done in his pursuit of power. At this point, Samuel Haight has figured out uh, how, to get, how to be a ghoul uh, under his own research. Right? We knew he stole thaumaturgy from, a, we'll yeah. just say, a source. We already reviewed it. Stole um, the blood. Stole the blood, stole thaumaturgy, but he manipulated a person into getting embraced. Yep. And once embraced, his charisma alone... Did he get embraced? Uh, he didn't. He convinced the person to get embraced. Oh, right. That it sees him as a father figure. And because of that, he's encouraging her to explore her vampiric power. So he naturally is slowly building her up to where he can kill her once she's learned everything she can. And kill her specifically with the conquistador sword. Now, the Conquistador sword is one that he came upon um, through nefarious means. It's Samuel Haight. Whatever. It's, and, a, it's uh, a powerful fetish. He, he's got his way. But I like the name of the sword because where are you at? Right. Right? Exactly. And, and that's the point. And it's a rank six fetish. It's like no joke powerful. But whoever it kills, it steals their powers and enables you to learn them. And that's where it opens the door for a lot of what he can do. Yeah. So there, then you start seeing specific gifts he has that he stole with it from various worlds he's killed. Um, no doubt he's killed a vampire too, or he, or, or really as insidious as I think it is, he's really buttering up this, this would be daughter for her to learn all she can. So he can slay her. And, and we know who she is because we encountered her in Chicago under a blood red moon. Uh, specifically, she was one of the glass Walker kinfolk who got embraced out of revenge. And he found her right under his wing, right where she belonged, where he could manipulate her. You know, a young, like ten-year-old girl uh, that he's just been corrupting to to whatever nefarious means Samuel Hayes, of course, going to do. And not to be outdone, how does he find out all this? Because Pentex finds him, and I use that in quotation, <laughs> right? Samuel Hayes is manipulated as it gets. So basically, when Pentex hears of the City of Gold, they look for someone with a skill set and find hate conveniently, and he takes the role. He takes the lead. And telling these people, I know how werewolves move, I know how to handle it, I'm the Skinner, let's make it happen. He also has a nefarious plot to make more of his kind, right? Just straight up the Skinwalkers. And uh, the uh, Skin, excuse me, Skin Dancers, it, I believe it is, Walkers Dancers. I, yeah. Basically, those who like to skin werewolves and become that. Name escapes me, but... He has a particular set of skills. Right, he's going to do it, he's going to repeat what happened to him, and uh, that that's what he wants. What I like about that is that no one knows that that's his agenda. Like, he's now in a land officially where killing werewolves is not hard. They bring them in in the droves. Oh, yeah. And if he could just get a certain amount, send those pelts in, he's already one foot in the right direction. He is the right Pentex first team to do it. They're all heavy hitters. Yep. That are on his team. They got serious issues. And uh, they're, they're honestly, they're dancing to his tune. It makes it to where even if you didn't care about the city of El Dorado, that's enough of a threat to have a team to run around the jungle and play tag with and make a real interesting set of fight and or ability of what, or just to see what they do and what you got to thwart. Yep. Would be a lot of fun. Now, 
Nick already said everything that goes on with Samuel Hate. You expect it, right? We're not done with Samuel Hate here, but you learn to hate him is the important thing. Man, it, it's uh, the most frustrating thing is taking possibility away from a player. It is. It is. Uh, admittedly, when you have something the players can't just up and kill, that also can build intrigue. I'll tell you point blank, that's based on the storyteller, right? We know that. And the delivery. And that's hard working out of these books when you use written material that isn't yours. And you decide to, and especially if it's dated and like everybody has the book. Well, you know what's going to happen. You, you have to follow the story. Otherwise, the next book's going to come out. I mean, it's still going to be alive. And you've got four players sitting across the table from you trying to ask, you know, well, what? How is he still alive? I thought we killed him. To which I reply, um, <laughs> you could just kill him. You That's could. how you kill you him. You could. There's a cool scenario in here. It's a seated plot where you can you can send werewolves in to allegedly uh, deal with this uh, this town, right? They go to an Amazonian village. Uh, the locals there are, are happily embrace the werewolves that show up. They help out build the village up and everything. And then, like a cry in the night, they hear something happening in some cave that was somehow hidden. Uh, from the group where they're at, and they realize it's more of a burrow, less than a cave. And when they get inside, all these, this Pentex first team slaughtered. Mm -hmm. They're dead. And there's this new being that woke with fangs that just figured out how AK-47 worked. <laughs> and they specifically write in there, um, you don't have to kill the vampire to get out of this scenario. Right. They call it an ancient. Why I love that, if anybody ever, you remember McCantaluti? Oh, no, Bob. I'm not saying it has to be that. What I'm saying that is that it's ancients exist. Yep. That's awesome, right? So you have a vampire that was sleeping, gets woken up by Pentex. They don't like Pentex either. Think about it. They were torpid. They were in this land. Everything was happy. All right, well, or anybody nudges you awake and you're thirsty enough. You didn't know what an AK worked? We know they're ancient. Um, you want to know what Fumori blood tastes like? Blood. Right, exactly. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Think a vampire cares about a bane? Not really. <laughs> Just want to put that in perspective. Why is that fun? Um, for all sorts of reasons, you get the right werewolf who can spin a yarn, step forward, Shadow Lord. We can now <laughs> show reason to this. If you can communicate to get that going, that could be a lot of fun and, and open up doors as well. And you can kind of have a by night supplement thrown in here if you consider Rio de Janeiro uh, is in here for you to play around with on top of it, especially if you're playing Don't Wake the Ancient. That's my favorite game. That's when you walk around and try to tell an anachronistic Methuselah that the world isn't that bad. You know, my favorite is to describe them as four foot two. For some reason, we were really short back in the day. That did <laughs> that height just doesn't change. If screw that, just give them a blood slushy machine and let them figure out that wizardry's real. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sit down. How do I use this weird light machine you have? I know telepathy. Oh my mind! Oh, now I understand your language too. There's all sorts of fun little quirks the storyteller could do, just depending. Have a little fun with it, folks, is what we're saying. Um, rolling through here, though, let's talk about a, a section in here that you're not going to, well, let's not overlook. If you ever wondered, and I mean ever, what sort of weapons and equipment is in this game? Oh, it's psychotic. Here's <laughs> lift, no stone unturned. It would, it would be the appropriate uh, phrasing for, for the writers of this book. So, if you were looking for an archaic weapon, they got a blowgun in here. I mean, it's pretty innocent enough. Yep. All right, you expect it. Um, how about fetish weapons, though? That's what we all really want. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I was just thinking, what could I give a, a Black Fury that could help him uh, in the jungle? What did the tribe donate to help him out? How about the Axe of the Matriarch? Yeah. They got a... Almost every tribe in here has very specific, powerful fetishes that uh, that the individual tribes kind of uh, gather around. This weapon is crazy good, and um, basically we'll the break it down for me, Mister. So the strength is added to the wielder's willpower points for the duration of the battle, right? So basically, you sap someone's will, their strength, and add it to your own willpower in one blow. We're talking a werewolf, right? If they're in Krenos and they have stats of nine with this axe, it's like what strength plus five, depending. I mean, it's a battle axe to describe a good labris. Now I'm going to hit someone. Whatever dice I roll takes away that person's strength, but adds to my willpower. Okay. Zero strength, you're laying on the ground. You're not moving. Ooh. You're not fighting. And well, one what blow. about the, the willpower? What do you... You do whatever you want. Willpower is yeah. a whole bunch of gifts you could chain to use it with. Okay. It, and, but who cares, right? The point is, I hit you. I hit you, big bad. You know movie now. 
There's no way it works. This is a vampire. <laughs> Even if it was, if you're a vampire with five potents and five strength and you're running around punching holes in tanks, I hit you with this axe once, assuming you live, because it's still aggravated damage, uh, each level of damage translates to you losing strength. You're babied in one blow. It's a devastating axe, especially if you're one with rage, with all the gifts that the Fury can use and bring to the fore. Yep. It's one of the most devastating weapons in the field. Wait, there's more. You don't like that? How about we go to the gentler side, Nick? Tell me, what does, what'd you call him, Sir Galahad? Yeah. What does he guard? Uh, he has a, a chalice of renewal. Yeah. So here's, here's a golden cup that Sir Galahad, the knight, uh, the knight supreme, holds that when you drink it, it, it cures your wounds and your diseases. Does this sound familiar at all? Not, like, not just the cold. We're talking all of them. Especially COVID, right? Yeah. <laughs> you drink it, it's COVID. gone. Rona? No Rona. No Rona. No Black Plague. No worries. You were cursed by the worm itself? Have a sip. Okay? Have a little sip. This is the tincture of tinctures, right? Once it's done, you're renewed completely. Everything's healed. We're going to do one more again. But, but true faith. True faith. That's after you have a night of visions from Gaia herself showing you the future and what it could be, right? Wonderful nights showing you what's all the abundance and there and wake up with Let's true faith. Let's just call it what it is. It's the Holy Grail of Gaia. <laughs> Gaia's Holy Grail. What yep. better thing to have for the one guy who has true faith of seven in Gaia? I'm going to say what I didn't say, then I'm going to say it now. Now that you see both items working in tandem, how cheap is this? Oh, now you're going to say it? No, 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 I'm saying it now so everybody can see it. Why would Bob say that? You're a werewolf. You know Gaia's real. Not might be real, not could be real, not there's a chance she's not real, not maybe there's an atheist group that just doesn't believe it's Gaia. It could be anything, really. And then under death, but go, okay, there's Gaia. Please, you know, none of that. It's, no, there's Gaia. She's real. That's why we're here. We have a job, right? We all are werewolves and know this. Why does he have true face seven in Gaia? Right? He really, really, really believes? Is that what goes on? More than you do. Yeah, and the answer is, and, and I would contest that, by the way. <laughs> I would test that. But I feel that the reason why they did that is because he had to have drank from this cup. Well, of course right? he did. That's what this cup did. It granted him the ability, and he has it, and that's why it's there. And that's the, that's the point of thinking of the reference of this character. Um, we'll just say welcome to the, the days before revised. And uh, that's... Yeah. Uh, that's one of them. But wait, that's not the most powerful items, right? They got more. Fist of Thor from the Get of Fenris. If you thought, I'm just going to say what this is. If Gogol, it's in his hands. If someone decides to fight Gogol, they're all losing. They're all losing. That thing is so broken. I punch and clap a thunder goes off. It doesn't cost me anything. Everything in the radius can be stunned for a round. More than enough. For old Gogol to keep punching you for rage and everything else to just annihilate you off the field and call it a day. I why would they have a difficulty winning this war with these type of weaponry elders taking the field? You might ask. Well, do the elders take the field? No. No, they don't. More importantly, it's not just about that. Remember, they're building these fetishes, folks, out of the Amazon. Right? Some are given to the tribe to support them, others are coming right from the Amazon. Uh, to be built and to replenish the the tribe's own stock, right? That's the true horror here, that these these things are being made powerfully, but the point's being hammered home. It's great they're gaining a benefit, and this is why they're gaining a benefit, but at what cost? That's the that's kind of the, the cusp of it, right? And uh, I think it's good to showcase here. However, if you were building a campaign, you wonder what sort of artifacts can exist or what sort of things could be out there. This exists perfectly as a gauge at the higher end of the scale of what could be there if you're having trouble thinking of the right fetish or flavor of fetish you were looking at. Yeah, I, I can I can I can't argue with that. It's one of the coolest things I think that any storyteller and player should be looking at in this game to do is to build custom fetishes for your players and your crews and stories that allow those things to happen. And the reason for that is because nothing is better than a, a a a fetish that binds a player to the spirit that inhabits it through an experience. Yeah, I'll agree. Everyone likes a magic sword. 
uh-huh. a good magic sword that they found and quested for. Know the name. I don't of want and- a plus whatever sword. Okay, I want a named sword. We'll call it Jarl Hammer. Um, that has a very specific <laughs> name and is carried down through generations that I have earned in some way, shape, or form through some great deed. Now, unlike me, I just want a mug of ever filling. I'm content, preferably mead, and then I'm I'm good to go. Right? You can get to Jotunheim and find it. Yeah, Jotunheim, indeed. Uh, that's the silver. <laughs> that's not in here, but I'm easily pleased with that. Um, however, we got silver weaponry. We got napalm and how to make it, and the damage and effect that, by the way, arguably works better than even in the combat book, the big book of beaten ass that they released. That you can kind of showcase what that is. Defines in here that yes, you could make it at home. People could throw it, and the effects it has. Realistic proportions, ways to use it that I still think hold up. Uh, for what yeah. it has on. Where it gets ridiculous? 50 cow. 50 cow's ridiculous anyway. But I know my cane burns. That's, that's where it gets ridiculous? Not talking about, like, the blasting powder, the nitroglycerin, I'm gonna tell you grenades, tear grenades. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you had to, if you needed stats for a missile, get out. Okay? <laughs> you, you, know, you know what a missile does? You don't roll damage, it kills a radius. Look at a YouTube video. Right? There's every manner of explosive craziness you can see what the devastation of these weaponry actually does. But that's one of those things in ST you shouldn't have to talk about. Right? Missiles from the sky win, folks, every time. And that's that's what it does. Now, they do give stats for some of this. They, you know, different time, different place. This is very much focused on combat, uh, what this book does. Um, but this is the book where I think they did it balanced uh, for what it was. Now, updated, naturally you have to go through it, but they give you an idea of the ammunition types being used. But however, you gotta remember, this ammunition types, they're not here for the werewolves. They're here for the Pentex first teams. Yep. They're here for the ST to know what to arm uh, these normal guys with who might be immune to delirium, might not, and, and how they're bringing it at these people wielding these fetishes of godlike power. That's the point. And uh, it gets worse. I mean, it goes, it goes so far to talk about artillery strikes. Well, ayahuasca in here, too. Yeah, I might add in drugs and poison. Uh, yeah, the uh, they got the the native uh, um, things, the the ayahuasca and the curare, um, which are just like native plants for vision trips and or or pain numbing or well whatever they want to use them for. But the point is, this book pound for pound has everything you need top down, including totems. They got the jaguar totem, anaconda totem, and uh, I- I'm gonna let you butcher her name. My anaconda don't want none. Uh, Panthesilea. There you go. Panthesilea. We'll, we'll let that Panthesilea? be what it is. Panthesilea? Thessalia? Is that what we're looking at? Uh, I don't know. But this is the Amazonian uh, first Black Fury totem, as they, as they outline this being in here. Is that yep. what did they bring? The Black Furies brought that here. Yeah. For what this has, which is why my argument in the beginning, I hope this sinks in, why I feel they really deserved an input of a. Uh, of a group, maybe a sept, maybe a thing going from the head. Yeah, because they they came over here before anybody came over here. They forged friendships. They brought a specific totem with them. They basically belong here as much as El Dorado did, as much as the Balam and the Macole, because they just became a part of it. Even the native Ukena are a bit stranger than the 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 Black Furies that are here. And I don't recommend you. It, it doesn't feel right to me. I get why the authors have put this in here, where they are, they're with El Dorado, is what it is. They got pulled across. He's they're there, kind yeah. of protecting him while he sleeps, and uh, they only come out when they need to mate. They come out to steal mates or whatever and, and go back. They mean steal them, right? Steal them. Like this. This doesn't seem like a fun night in a town. It's anachronistic. Um, tribal women from a bygone age who come out and go, "You snoo snoo now and take you." That's that. You're, you were once in the jungle, and now you're not. And uh, there you, you pay the toll, I guess. Um, <laughs> for me, though, it's kind of limiting, right? There could be a great story there that works. I would, uh, you know, again, salt the taste here. Uh, but that's uh, that's just an idea. I think there's a more of a story that could come from that, other than being a simple rite and ritual, and occasionally you see them. There's enough here built to where it could be more. Yeah, as well it should be. I mean, be creative with it. Um, but uh, also, Totem of Wisdom. I my favorite new totem that's in here is Toad. I really do like Toad. <laughs> Why? I like Toad a lot. Well, it's the idea that there's, there's a werewolf pack out there that decides they're going to be these medicine-like healers, and they gain resist toxin and venom gifts, which are badass. However, Toad takes a heavy price. Toad makes you ugly. 
He takes two away from your appearance, and I find that funny. And you can't harm any toads. For some reason, I'm tickled to death that there'd be some Amazonian pack that's just out there, right? Raging across the Amazon, making it happen. They could heal you and help you out. Go on vision quests, becoming one with the land, doing your part. And at the same time, wreck and shop on Pentex first teams. Why? Because of ayahuasca trips, right? Here, lick this toad poison. Here's a blowgun in the neck with all your technology. I find that awesome to even think about it. <laughs> It'd be fun as hell to watch that go down. I would play part of the toad. Pack. They're just throwing smoke bombs down and everybody's licking tree bark. And all you hear is, <laughs> and there goes your pack. Dum dum dum. Pentex first team's <laughs> unconscious on a high trip, whatever. And you're just delivering guys' wrath. One little dart at a time. All praise the mighty toad. The only thing ever left behind is something not even Pentex can figure out. A large, like, like pale toad sits there, you know, doing toad noises, looking at him, <laughs> daring them to lick him. I just, I just find that great. It'd be fun. I'm weird, folks. I like odd things. That's that. I still think it's cool. Um, but that being said, talk about a tactical storytelling method in here, too. Um, this bears reading. This bears reading. When I went through this, Nick, and then I definitely want you to chime in, um, if you didn't have a mindset of what tactical meant or how to roll that out with a group or what that might look like for you to do, if that idea is new to you, i.e., I'm a storyteller, I've dealt with three to five people, always in single scenes, never in massive combats, I don't know what that would even look like or if that would even be fun, this section goes in to mention the NR cookbook that was released for the Vampire Supplement at this time. Um, ideas of how to how to gauge a large scale war, how to decide, you know, basically the war. The focus of the war is not the whole war; it's it's the window. It's the slice your players are involved in that you need to focus on. But you can still display a tactical background as to what's being deployed, what's being used, and what's going on. And this gives you an idea of how to run that together in this section. Uh, do you feel that did that the same way, or did you feel that they could have been updated, or they missed a point? Um. Not being immediately familiar with the Anarch Cookbook's method of doing it, I, I like the way they talk about this, and it's the way. If you have a large scale com- conflict, you, you should be doing it. There should be things that your players are going to notice they might not necessarily have an influence on that may they may be able to make basic uh, judgments on to try and sway the greater side of things. But keeping those simple circumstances to, to basic die rolls instead of minutia rolling your way through it is just common sense because honestly it's boring oh i i I don't even like waiting for everyone to finish their initiative roll right and (laughs) you understand it's it's nails on a chalkboard if i have to run a combat scene i try to make it as fast as possible and here to the rules that people want because a lot of folks are there for that uh but at the same time uh, it's got to be realistic for me like i'm looking to see the action in the combat not just to hear the dice at the table yes and that's the problem um but the solution's here. This tactical system they talk about is not to say, this is ironclad. And to me, this, this advice is timeless. For the, for the time being, they show you how you could do it, and that's the beginning. Stand on the shoulders of that progress and make what works for you. Update the rules a bit, because they are dated, but update them a bit to where, where you can use it and advise it. I'm going to give you a hint. V5 has a great idea of what to do with henchmen. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, um, you could do where they break even. Whatever the bad guy's going to go, if they're not a focus. They do the base amount of damage to a player yep. who's out of dodge or whatever, but it still seems hard, but you never tell the player that, right? Our description's always going to trump what the die roll says or whatever. And as an ST, I could care less what the bad guy roll. I'm concerned about what the player is attached to emotionally in the scene and what they're looking to get out of it. So I can tell the story of both sides to make it more interesting. To do that, that's reading a room, that's focused on the pulse that they have going. If their adrenaline's going, let them roll some dice. You know, to cool them out, but at the same time, start planning those big moments to make that a scene memorable. And that's that should always be the goal. And never, ever, ever be afraid to just go, I'm not concerned. I don't care what the dice said. Like if a player botched it, but you feel it was a glory moment, give them the win. Right? If you wanted them to win that role, just make it viable. Yeah, just let Mr. Magoo their way through it. Right. A bot you okay, your grenade that you're gonna throw that's napalm. You pull the pin, you threw the grenade. However, you realize that uh, the pin that you thought you had a handle on also pulled the rest of the pins that are on your jacket that had the other grenades attached. All right, what do you do? Your rage action, I guess. You're going to throw that too. They get a second roll, bigger explosion. That ends up winning the day somehow. 
That's that's a way to sneak in a bad roll with a second attempt. It happens again. Do they have a totem? Did they have something else that could help them with the Hail Mary? Maybe the forest felt that maybe, I don't know. Whatever you want to throw in as an ST, that's a good way to look at combat as well. Not that the players should win, right? This is uh, not about a win-loss. It's what's best outcome for the story. Yeah. Story first. I agree. <laughs> uh, with that, though, that brings us to the end of uh, Rage Across the Amazon. I, of course, uh, I still love this book. I had fun going through it. Um, what about you, Nick? This is my first time seeing this book. Uh, it's probably one of the best supplement books I've seen. Uh, you know, barring, of course, the one we have coming up next. But this is a. I you said you said that you were considering running this game just after reading this, and uh, and I have the same urge. There's a lot of really cool stuff in here. It basically, if, if you haven't seen this and you haven't at least taken a look through it, do it. Steal that opportunity. If that doesn't catch your attention, then you're probably soulless. <laughs> Right, it's a hard awesome uh, that we're giving this book, folks. Hope you check it out. Uh, thanks for listening. And remember, we got coming up a Rage Across Russia. That's for vampire fans as well as werewolf fans, because it definitely deals with the Baba Yaga, the Iron Curtain, and the Army of Night, as well as werewolves. That's the me. That's everything. And if those terms are foreign to you, don't worry. I recently ran a campaign with that book. I almost don't even have to read it to jump in. But I will just to make sure I get all the little nuggets in there everybody knows and loves. Yep. Uh, we're notorious for so thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time thank you for listening to our 25 years of vampire the masquerade podcast if you liked what you heard please reach out and let us know on twitter at 25 years of vtm at our email info at 25 years vtm.com on facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years vtm or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com if you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.